going to do a juggernaut special this week of I'm a Celebrity and The Crown, which seem to be the two things that most people are talking about. But um, some new figures that only a million people downloaded the first episode of The Crown. So maybe not everybody's watching the program that Netflix think they are. Well, I think one of the reasons The Crown is so incredibly popular is that it does really well for newspapers, you know, with SEO and stuff like that. And that's why people are so on papers, are so keen to write about, you know, everything about The Crown, the fashions, the the true stories, the, the, the real life cast. It does really well for newspapers. And I think perhaps that's not reflected in the viewing figures because I must admit, you know, with certainly with the last series, I didn't watch the last few episodes because I just thought I've lived through this. I've read so much about it already. I don't need to see a fictionalised version. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, it, you know, as a cynical newspaper person to uh, <laughs> it was written numerous stories about the crown. Um, I'll proceed anyway, but uh it it is interesting that that audience is much lower than I would have thought they would expect. But I suppose these things play out over time for them, and possibly possibly Netflix have got it right to bring it to a conclusion at the end of what will be season six, which they're shooting now. Mm, I think you're right, and um, uh, I think I think it's something that people have. S- seen quite enough of as well but I think you're right in the fact that you know the next royal scandal or big story that appears you know somebody will find a parallel in the crown and therefore more people will go back to Netflix I mean for Netflix it's I believe what the kids in the trade call it an evergreen you know it will always be there and people will just keep going back to it telling their friends about it you know it's a reaction to to news stories so I think in that sense it's a good good move for netflix i mean i also think there is some issue to do with fact or fiction um and and what you're actually watching i mean i don't know whether the younger generation care about that so much but i think an older generation who's brought up on watching tv programs where they have a fair idea whether something is fact or whether it's made up and Mm. they make a judgment on the show and what they're seeing whereas i think it is very confusing with the crown and particularly the first episode where we've had pre-publicity from John Major, former prime minister, saying that a meeting between his character and Prince Charles didn't actually happen. And the scene is the scene is very well done. There's no doubt about that. And Johnny Lee Miller plays John Major very well and convincingly. Who'd have thought it? A heartthrob Johnny Lee Miller as <laughs> John Major. I know, edgy actor from the 90s suddenly is sort of, the the least edgiest person from the nineties, <laughs> but it it does dis- it disappoints me that 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 is written into the series in that way. And I mean, people have said to me, "Well, um, Charles did have ideas that that his mother would abdicate, and he expressed them privately." It sounds to me as though he expressed them to just about everybody he met privately. So mm, mm. in some way, that's a justification for Peter Morgan to write the scene. I don't know whether, does, does that put people off? I think it does put people off. I think it puts people off. I mean, you know, I'm a bit of a stickler for historical accuracy in drama. Um, and I, you know, but I mean, this is the whole thing about the royals. They are unknowable. You know, I remember hearing a radio documentary recently about... Um, talking about the way the royal family works with journalists and one of the royal correspondent was saying, you know, it's the most ridiculous job in the world because I can never ask the key participants in being royal. I can never ask them 
questions directly. It all has to go through a press office or representatives. So, you know, we never really know what goes on with the royals. So maybe, you know, the net, the, you know, the crown on Netflix just just illustrates that you know, the ridiculousness of the whole thing. We can never really know. So maybe we may as well make it all up. Yeah, I mean, there is that point to it, definitely. But I think there's also, because, as you say, we're rightly coming up to this period and it feels close for us, whether we really need the drama, because, as you say, most of us have watched umpteen documentaries <laughs> on this particular period and Diana and written about them as well. <laughs> a man that I am. Um, and, um, you know, what, what What does it really add now to have Elizabeth Debicki playing Diana and two unknown actors playing Will and Harry? Um, I mean, in the in the second episode, or it might be, the, might be the first episode, they go off on what is a second honeymoon. And I sort of felt, I can't imagine uh, William and Harry watching this episode of, of themselves as young boys going off on this, you know, sort of dream Italian beach holiday. It's just... It is a bit sick, really. Yeah, this is this is the problem. But I mean, I, I think one of the things that people like about it and the things that I enjoy is the casting of the series. You know, obviously just talking yeah. about John Major there, but things like um, my my favourite, Sir Derek Jacobi as um, the old um, uh, Edward the Edward the the Eighth. Oh yes, I thought you were going to say um, the old Returner at that point. <laughs> the old Retainer, yes, and Geraldine Chaplin as the uh, Duchess of Windsor. That's what I was trying to. Uh, think, uh, spout out, but I think it's absolutely brilliant casting. Um, yes, and I think Warren is the um, is the Queen Mother who mm. I, I think it's episode four. I had to skim episode four because it's the Guildhall speech episode, and I was writing a story about it. She comes in and literally dresses down the Queen for what she's <laughs> about, for what she's about to say at the Guildhall. And someone's put it to me that this would never have happened. The Queen Mother would never have gone out to the Queen and said, no, you can't say this at the Guildhall. Whatever do you mean? Well, I mean, for me, the Queen, you know, the only um, uh, Queen Mother worth watching is the Queen Mother on Spitting Image, which I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, she was a terrible old snob. She wasn't at all like that. But, yeah, it is kind of, well, you know, I think it's time has come now and I think it's right that it's winding down because, I mean, what more is there to say about the royals, really? You know, we, we've kind of moved on with, you know, Harry and Meghan now, haven't we? You know, we've got a new king. Yes, um, they, aren't we? Aren't we now engaged in revisionism? I mean, this is—I don't know who's revising what on what on what terms, but we're we're literally uh, and through something like the Crown, we're coming up with a version of Charles, aren't we? Whether what part he played in the divorce, quite a significant part. And you know, mm. was he a villain? And I did did strike me this week that one of the problems with the crown now is it doesn't really have enough villains. I mean, so there, <laughs> you know, Charles is now a sort of cod villain, isn't he? But also in this series, uh, Prince Philip, played by Jonathan Jonathan Price, is a sort of villain. He turns up in the second episode, I think. Um, it's another dressing down from a sort of senior royal, and he's having a right old go at Diana for the um, Andrew Morton book. And mm. he refuses to sit down and he's like a total bully. And I'm thinking, is this really what, um, you know, lovable Prince Philip was like? Clearly, he's not as lovable. He was meant to be her friend, wasn't he? <laughs> I mean, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Prince Philip, I have to admit. I've also got a soft spot for Jonathan Price. You know, I'm torn. But it is, I mean, as I say, you know, those of us who are sort of, you know, watching it, 
with a critical eye. We, we're, we're always on the edge of, oh, is this real or is it not? You know, I mean, maybe maybe we should just, you know, relax and watch it as, as a piece of drama. You know, maybe that's the best way to watch it. Um, but I know, but for, me that's we'll a, for me, that's a cop out. For um... <laughs> but we'll never be able to because these people, you know, we, we, you know, they are part of our national life. It's something you can't let go of. So maybe it's just an argument for you know ha- for people who make up new stories. That's what we want: more new stories told in a different way that we don't yeah, know the ending of. This week, I thought of doing a Harry and drama, a Harry and Meghan drama about um, the the Oprah interview and just making the whole thing up and thinking, well, they'd probably, they'd probably issue you a writ, but no one's issued anybody. No, no one from the Royal family has issued a writ over the crown, have they? But why can't you just simply make up a story about Harry and Meghan now? That's a good idea, David. Yeah. You should write that. And I should put it to Netflix, give it I'll a couple of weeks. We won't have to do this anymore. Yeah, I'll write it this afternoon. I would, yeah. we, we have to continue the podcast. It's, I think it's, it's written into our contract, isn't it? Well, don't forget, we'll be able to do the spin-off podcast about the drama, which is which is all the thing on audio now. You know, it's on BBC Sounds. It's whatever the big drama series is. It's obsessed with SAS Rogue Heroes or something like that, yeah. which segues nicely into... Yes, Rogue Heroes. We'll, we'll interrupt briefly our, um, our, our <laughs> Juggernaut special. Let's have a transition, though. Something quite ballsy, I think. But this is interesting because it's uh, it's it's masculine television on a on a Sunday night, isn't it? TV for men. It's TV for men, and also with Dominic West again. This time, dragging up, which I think splendid. <laughs> Yeah, he's good. I think he's a fantastic comedian. I mean, the, uh, he was in that great film Pride, and he is such a great comic. So I, I think it's really good to see him in him in roles like this, even if he is playing somebody in the army. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's. Um, is he a military spy or something like that? He's got a. I. He's, he's sort of playing the sort of shifting sands of the whole drama, really, mm. uh, and. I thought he was really quite good. I mean, it needs somebody like that because it, it obviously was a whole a sort of melting pot of various interests um, in Cairo and sounds absolutely fascinating of the period. But it does make you immediately think of Lawrence of Arabia or Ice Cold in Alex, something like that, and you're you're sort of immediately there, really. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, I think people are really interested to see what Stephen Knight was going to do after Peaky Blinders. And, um, you know, in a way, I think he's he has played a bit of a blinder because, I, I mean, I don't think there is enough um, sort of um, sort of rough, tough and, and a bit masculine drama. I mean, I, I always thought of Peaky Blinders, despite the fact there are so many strong women characters in as, as a series really led by by men. Uh, and I think this is a great choice for him to make. Yeah, I mean, those sorts of dramas, I, I don't know whether do you think they sort of cynically thought, oh, this is exactly what the men of Great Britain need. <laughs> and this is what we get. I mean, I, I sort of, I have a sort of inbuilt doubt as to whether we can do that as a country. We can do lots of drama. I don't know whether we can do that. I mean, Peaky Blinders was an exception, I suppose, definitely. Mm. Well, I mean, I don't know. Are, are we? I'd really love to know. I think people are increasingly make, making TV by algorithms. You know, what do yeah. X amount of people in, you know, Generation X want to buy, want to watch, sorry. But, um, 
I mean, I think, you know, Stephen is a very creative, you know, um, maker of television. And this is this is his shtick, isn't it? You know, it, yeah, it's it sort is. of, you know, darkly masculine drama with a bit of a smile on its face. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the first episode was a little slow to get to get going, I thought. But then I thought when we got to the second episode, uh, the Sterling character um, was a little bit more developed, which helped a bit. I think it was because he was sort of battling against the fact that he couldn't walk, actually. And so you, you got him working against something, which is always better to watch, isn't mm. it? Um, yeah. And then there was an Algerian double agent as well. I mean, there were double agents everywhere. I don't know. Can you get can you get a triple agent? I suppose you can. Can you? I suppose you could if you re- you know if you're really clever. But I mean, you know, it is almost like watching you know all those daytime TV films that are in black and white with people going, "I say, Ginger, let's do this." You know, it's almost a bit of a throwback to sort of been you know sort of old films of the fifties about the war. I know. Um, and- a bit sort of flash art where they're there in Cairo and they're just getting sort of strafe with gunfire from above and they're just sort of, oh, yeah, we're going to develop this brand new sort of team of fellows and we're going to go and do this. But no one was getting shot. I mean, it was unbelievably sort of safe if you're uh, an airman running along the ground. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has got a fantastic cast as well. I mean, I must admit, I think um, Connor Swindells is just, you know, swoonsomely handsome so I'm going to put in a vote for him you know but you've got the most brilliant cast you know like Miles Jupp pops up in it he was just fantastic and then you've got yeah. Jason Watkins at some point playing Winston Churchill it's just it's just such a marvellous cast it is well. and it's emphasising the comedy which often in these sort of supposedly searing dramas um, is is often better than the drama really Miles Jupp was very funny when they he hadn't thought about filling the tank with petrol. I thought that's the sort of thing I'd do. <laughs> that's the sort of thing I would do in war, I think. Haven't seen I mean, it. Have you filled the petrol tank? Oh, oh dear, I'm sorry. You're absolutely right, though, because, I mean, you know, despite the fact that this was dangerous and serious work, you know, these people, you know, there must come a point of them having a had a bit of a laugh at some point. I mean, I remember reading Sebastian Folks's book Birdsong about, you know, the horrors of the trenches of World War One and get giving up on it, thinking there aren't enough jokes in it. And I know that sounds a stupid <laughs> thing to say, but, you know, there has to be so some levity in it. So insensitive. <laughs> I am insensitive, you know me, but there has to be some levity in, in some situations. And I I don't know, is there too much levity in this? I don't know, but you know, it's I thought it was an unusual choice for a nine o'clock on a Sunday night drama, but it does make you feel it does energize one, I have to say. Yeah, it's completely unlike anything that's been on the BBC for months, really. I mean, they've done a lot of well meaning right on stuff and and mm. all power to their elbow for that sort of that sort of material. But this this has been a, a sort of step away, which, you know, I welcome and it's been very good. And I think we've got more episodes to come. So we'll probably talk about it endlessly, won't we? Endlessly. Yes. But, but you know, that's a good thing. And it's just it's just a story that's not really been told before, which which I think we both welcome, don't we? No, absolutely. And I think I made the point in the column that um, you can pick up the documentary. That there was an excellent documentary on it and it does have echoes of the documentary. Uh, based on the Ben McIntyre book, uh, unfortunately. Mm. But I don't think that really matters. You can come at it fresh and then sort of, then you can deep dive, can't you? Because that's quite common these days. Oh, yeah, go for a deep dive into everything about this and become a complete nerd and then go on Mastermind and answer questions about it. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, let's have a transition. We'll, we'll move to another juggernaut subject. Double Ooh, trans- that's a very 
that's a very fast juggernaut. I'd arrest it for speeding. Definitely. The juggernaut has sort of crashed straight into the jungle of Australia for the return of I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. I'm, I'm, I'm welcoming that it's actually gone back to Australia because I didn't think it really worked in Wales. I mean, having said that, there seems to be as much rain in Australia as it does in Wales. So I'm... It can't rain hard enough for most people, though, on that Hancock. So, no, what, you know, what we need is a raining, complete blizzard. Rain, yeah, raining on Matt Hancock while he's eating a kangaroo's anus. I mean, I think that's what the nation really wants to see. Yeah, raining on his parade. I mean, it's an, it's an interesting discussion point as to why um, ITV did this. I mean, apart from the obvious that it is a good booking, but sort of ambitious and quite a, a dangerous booking in a way because it might have turned off the complete audience. Or do you think it was just always going to win out this booking? I think I think genuinely people want to see him suffer. Um, I mean, I particularly enjoyed the moment this week where Charlene White was talking to him. Uh, you know, obviously a news presenter talking to him about you know what went, you know why he chose to do it, and he said, oh, you know, I want to make people see politicians as just human beings. And she, she I think she, someone on Twitter said she rolled her eyes for a nation. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, if he's if he's on there to sort of. Uh, you know, make people see politicians as human and then talk about his dyslexia charity. There were other ways of doing it. You know, he could have made a documentary, but no, he's going to get paid quite a lot of money for it. And certain people will see him as, you know, people saw Boris Johnson as a bit of a laugh and a bit of a lad. And it's, uh, I think it's so self-serving, but it's great viewing figures for ITV. Yeah. And it's a lot of money on the phone phone lines. Yeah, though we're recording this on Saturday morning and I watched last night's episode, Friday night's episode, and it was starting to wear thin on me. We had two of the, uh, the, the I've got to call them islanders, but they're junglers. Uh, we <laughs> two of the jungle contestants. I mean, hugging Hancock was like hug a Hancock, wasn't it? I was thinking, God, leave, put the man down, leave him alone and stop giving so much welcome sympathy, for God's sake. Well, I mean, it's interesting as well, you know, because you've got Sean Walsh as well, you know, going in for rehabilitation purposes, perhaps. And I mean, I I think, you know, what happened with him on Strictly was just it was just a ridiculously concocted story of a kiss in the street. And I think he's an absolutely brilliant. I think he's an absolutely wonderful stand up and a good, great comic. But. You know, I I, I sympathise with him, but with Matt Hancock, you know, politicians are a different breed. And I mean, I I, I don't want, I like a serious politician. I don't want my, I don't want to, you know, see politicians in Prime Minister's Question Time and think, oh, the last time I saw him, he was eating, he was eating um, kangaroo's testicles. Uh-huh. Do you think this is an entree into light entertainment for Matt Hancock? I do. I did think it was quite funny watching Good Morning Britain and Susanna Reid saying she wouldn't present the show with him because... That's so typical of Good Morning Britain that they would book as another... Fa- no, I said Ed Balls wasn't a failed politician, or was he? Is he yet mm. to fail? Or, anyway, Ed Balls is on there, isn't he? And they like to get... They've had Alistair Campbell there previously. Um, she's yeah, putting herself I mean- out. Uh, yeah, I'm delighted to hear it. I mean, you know, I can't, I can't see Matt Hancock presenting the chase, say, if Bradley Walsh should <laughs> ever decide to leave. Because, uh, you know... Uh, Bradley Walsh is brilliant with people and and Matt Hancock clearly isn't. Um, but it's it's certainly given a, you know, as you say, going back to Australia and these, you know, having Matt Hancock in it, I think it's given the series a bit of a shot in the arm, hasn't it? 
Yeah, it has. And I mean, I know people say this, but Ant Dagger are incredibly funny and they are incredibly funny in this as well. And they're making hay. I mean, the things that they say are more hilarious and more satirical than anybody in the jungle itself is are saying. So that that contributes to my enjoyment of it and I'm sure everybody else's. But I still think if you're getting a mauling from Boy George, it's not much of a mauling, <laughs> is it? Oh, I don't know. He he was done for chaining up that young man to a wall and he served time for it. So, you know, I, I think George is a big Irish brawler. I wouldn't I would underestimate him at my I wouldn't like to get in a fight with boy George, put it that way. I think he could. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't know where it's it's going to go. Although um, if my sentiment that I'm getting, starting to wear thin of Hancock, I mean, I've worn thin before he even went in there, to be, to be honest. <laughs> With his, with his antics. I mean, and for saying, I fell in love. Do you think that was the media training line that he was told to say? Oh, I think so. Yes, that's really interesting, David. You know, what media training has he had before he goes in? Oh, huge amounts. He was even saying, because that was one of the questions from Sean Walsh, it was turning into a sort of media show going, what what training does a politician have before they get in office? You're so, it was a bit of a sort of suck up. You're so good at answering questions. I was pretty sick in a bucket when I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> so who's your money on to win? Well, I don't know. It could be one of the, it could be, um, you know, one of the younger people. I mean, normally they come out of the woodwork, don't they? I don't think George will, will win it. Chris Boyles is coming over very well, I thought. Um, mm. But there's a young chap, Owen Warner, uh, from Hollyoaks, who's like the sort of new Joey Essex, uh, which you can take whichever way you like, but people will know what I mean there. Um, and he's been quite gullible, and I think that may that may help him. Um, yeah, some, I think... Some, they... what Mike Tyndall was doing. I mean, I'm basically just mentioning everybody in the show now, but and Mike Tyndall early on, um, before he be, appeared to become incredibly tired, which I think most people of an age do, <laughs> um, he, was, he was quite like he's a likable figure anyway um, yeah i like i do like mike tinder i think he would genu genuinely be a good person to be you know on sort of in the jungle or desert island discs with yeah. um but moyles is interesting isn't he because he's quite a divisive figure yeah well he was um, unrecognizable to me i mean i don't know I, I don't know where has chris moyles been is my first question he's obviously been on radio somewhere not on the bbc but um He'd lost an incredible amount of weight. I couldn't, I couldn't, I was sort of wondering, why are you going in the jungle? You don't need to lose any weight. You know, he looked, <laughs> you know, as they say, he was half the man he used to be. But he's, mm. been, he's been very good. And he was very good at getting the conversation going with Hancock. And I think there's still, there's still ground to go with that relationship, I think. I mean, he may take a lump out of him yet. I mean, really, I'm so pathetic. I'm just looking for someone to sort of punch him on the nose, to be honest. <laughs> Again, speaking for a nation, possibly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, people as ever with reality shows always say, oh, I've never heard of these people. But, you know, I, I, I think the appeal of the show is just the way they end up mixing. And, you know, like in the early days of Big Brother, when it was when it was a bit deeper than just, you know, if you're going to get a contract for a new makeup brand when you leave, it is very... You know, it is very interesting to see the psychological relationships between all these people. Yeah, it'd be, it, it, I, I, I sort of hanker for the early days of I'm a Celebrity, though, when they would, they weren't media trained, they weren't told by agents how to play the game, and mm. they would literally argue the toss with each other, you know. I mean, it, it used to be quite vicious, and some people would have said, oh, God, no, you can't do that, it's just bullying. But 
but we had decent sort of argument. People were going at each other and it was better entertainment. Um, mm. I suppose in these days of safeguarding, it's too risky to have this sort of thing happen. But I think that's what this series actually needs. I mean, ITV won't care one way or the other because they're probably getting incredible ratings from it. I think probably 10 to 12 million, something like that, which um, all the advertisers will be just swarming their hands by the cockles <laughs> Christmas hearth on this stuff. Yeah, th- who's the sponsor of the show this year? I can't remember. Oh, I think it's some bingo, some bingo, oh. one, I think, typically. But I did notice that TK Maxx was the first advertiser uh, when they came out of the first Hancock appearance, and I thought, well, they've played, paid a pretty sum to be there, I bet. Mm. Um, so yes. here we are. I don't know how many stars. We'll give a star rating to I'm a Celebrity. I'm, I'm sort of three and a half from me. Well, I think three three kangaroo anuses from me because that's the shape they'll be. Oh, that's a bit of a rude joke because um, I, I'm I'm so um, I mean the Hancock thing is a big draw, but I still don't think polit- sitting politicians should actually be um, working in the House of Commons for their constituents as opposed to um, talking about how they fell in love with Gina Collardangelo or whatever her name oh, is. Oh, nice one! Well done, well remembered, Claire. Very good. Mm. Uh, Sounds like an Italian pudding, yeah. Yeah, it's like an Italian pudding we we can't bear to. Yes, let's leave that anyway. <laughs> You've been catching up with the English, have you not? Yes, it's um, I, I, it's a much hyped drama, and I mean, I think uh, there's so many co-production credits on. You know, in, in America, it's going out on Amazon Prime, and in in England, it's go the UK. Sorry, it's going out on the BBC, and it's uh, a reinvention of the Western kind of thing. And uh, you know, it's and putting the English a... in the in the Wild West. Yes, exactly. You know, you've got um, Emily Blunt playing Lady Cornelia Locke. You know, and she's you know Westerns are always you know you've got a uh, I've come to find the man who shot my boy, and uh, Emily Blunt <laughs> is. Does anyone indeed... get the wagons in a circle? I'm sure they will. There have been a few wagons in it so far, but you know she's uh, she's you know she's super posh lady, and you know it's a great performance by her. She's a terrific actress, but she's you know it's all mysterious and they're many levelled and things will be revealed. But she's come to find the the person that killed her son, and uh, she uh, in oh, so complex. I couldn't get my head around it. She meets. Um, um, a wounded wolf. Um, this wolf. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. That's 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 his that's his um Native American name, but he's Sergeant Eli Whip, played oh, by right, Chester okay. Spencer. And you know he he saves her from an <clears throat> incredibly nasty man played by Kieran Hines. Um, oh, I do like the cast. The casting sounds great. Oh, the cast is amazing. You know, you've, you've got Toby. You've got Toby Jones, who got you know killed off fairly early in the first episode. Spoiler alert: too late. Um, oh, but what it, a shame. It's. I mean, the cinematography is just incredible. You know, the West has never looked wilder or more beautiful. But I just couldn't find any emotional heart to it. You know, you 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 know, you should have, shouldn't you? you should have lots of yeah, sympathy for this. Poor English woman who's, you know, being terribly treated in the middle of the Wild West and she's lost a child. But it just it's a, it's written by Hugo Blick, who I always find a little bit cold. And yeah. this is one of 
what I found with this, you know, it's, you know, you, you should feel sorry for all the characters, you know, this uh, Native American guide, you know, you, you see him in terrible circumstances and there should be sort of, you know, warmth and, and, and you know, pity and, and that you want them. But there's just something unknowable about about them and about the drama. It sounds quite mysterious. Do you reckon it's got um, returner status? Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the first episode, the first shots in the drama give away what happens in the end. And obviously I won't give a spoiler alert for that one. So I don't think it's, I don't think it'll be back for another series, but I think I will watch the second episode, but I, I, I don't, I, I think it's a little bit too clever for its own good. Yeah, interesting. Well, I think I might give it a go because in the in the following weeks we're going to be looking for probably binge watch uh, programs simply because we'll have we'll have I'm a celebrity and football combining. Or the I'm a celebrity might end just before the World Cup football starts, and um, just as people don't schedule stuff against I'm a celebrity, they don't tend to schedule much against football matches either. So. That could be could be a good downloadable um, one for viewers. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's all available now. But I mean, you know, we've got ITVX starting soon, haven't we? Yeah, I'm going to a big launch for that next week, so I can update people on it. But there do there do seem to be some the Spy Among Friends, um, which has got uh, Damien Lewis in it, I think. Mm. Um, there's a Litvinenko drama starring David Tennant. I mean, my God, he looks the part, doesn't he? Always, mm. um, he's got this sort of chameleon ability to to look like his character rather spookily. But uh, that's another one. Um, and Richard is another drama. I've forgotten the cast of that, but there, there, it it does look quite good, and it is, from what I'm told, it is free. Um, and there, I think there will be a small paywall as it goes on. But I think initially most, most hours of, of ITVX will be available uh, free to the viewer. So um, mm. interesting it's... idea to move the whole focus onto a streamer away from your terrestrial channel. I mean, of course they'll argue that it's one's complementing the other, but it doesn't really work that way. I mean, people's it's, it's incredible with the TV landscape, just how conservative the viewer actually is. Yeah, they want more of the same, don't they? They do, and uh, they sort of. I, I think there's a level that you have to trust a channel, don't you, before you, you, or lose your trust in it before you move away from it. So, I mean, they're going to change ITV back to ITV One, which I think does. You know, does that make a scrap of difference? What sort of a meeting came up with that brilliant idea? I mean, it's it is so strange, isn't it? I mean, will the ITV hub? continue to exist as a as a place for all itv programs i mean it's i i think it's very confusing for the viewer i think itv hub is going to be renamed i don't know the midsummer oh. murders hangout or something I don't, know. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know what's going to be on that there's still a lot of there's still a lot of really good content that you can watch repeat content um mm. and, you know, right from you know talking pictures through to uh, ITV3, this stuff is still there and it's still highly watchable for people. So if to to make me, uh, it's difficult to make me think that people are suddenly going to stream away from the main channels and watch ITVX. Because I don't, I think it sounds weird as well. Is it something, does it just me that thinks ITVX is a weird sounding channel? 
It is. I think it's supposed to sound modern and slightly mysterious. And I mean, I think the mysterious thing is uh, is is coming across very strongly because nobody really knows what it is. Because you know, obviously, all, a lot of the publicity material that we get at the end of it says, you know, this program will also be streamed, uh, shown at a later date on ITV One. So it just seems, you know, there will be lots of viewers who say, well, why should, you know, I'm not going to watch ITV. I've seen this already, you know, so therefore, will there be any point in ITV one? Discuss. Yeah, yeah there'll be, I mean, there's a lot of cannibalization like that. I mean, BBC do that with the iPlayer and they're sort of making their way through it, but it's a, it's a difficult landscape at the moment, but there's still, you know, reasonably good things on at the moment, I think. So, I mean, and it'll probably continue until mid-January, then we'll all go, oh, God, there's no TV to watch. Yeah, there's a Christmas launches soon as well, isn't there? So we'll we'll get to find out what the Mrs. Brown's Christmas Boys Christmas special will be now called. Yeah, I'll year. be incapacitated for two weeks, I'm afraid, viewer. A <laughs> 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 quick shout-out Something... to, to schedule filler Doctors, which I watched this week. I just happened to watch Doctors. And oh. someone managed to get an appointment just by walking through the door for a bruised thumb, I thought, oh, my God, what world are these people living in who write this show? You can tell this is fiction, can't you? My <laughs> God. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's an odd series. It is. It is a, a, a very odd. I mean, I think most young writers get a go. So could I um, message the BBC and say, can some of your researchers and young writers please go to a nearby A&E hospital or GP surgery to find out actually what's going on? And you'll see a massive queue. <laughs> yeah, I think we should put a shout out, David. You know, what's the most unrealistic thing uh, our listeners have seen on television recently? Do let yeah, us do, know. Yeah, do let us know. So good roundup, Claire. And um, until next time. Yes, until next time. Goodbye, David. Goodbye, everyone.